But the thing is, if you drop your kid off and think that they will catch the faith when it's not being lived out at home, that's where we are systemically failing as, as a church in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin, the official parish podcast of St. Anthony of Padua. My name is Nate Hoffman. I am the communications and development coordinator here at St. Anthony. And I am joined today by the bearded wonder himself with flecks of gray, uh, making him a little bit Salt more pepper. regal. Salt, Salt and pepper. pepper, baby. Michael Gorman. What's Hey-o. up? The man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I've been complaining a lot lately. Good. Yeah, I know. It's nice. Is it working? No, nothing has changed. Yeah. So now I figure I'm going to do the, I'm going full George Cassandra on this one. I'm going to do the opposite that all my instincts tell me, because my instincts have led me here in this dead end podcast with you. So if I choose the opposite, pretty soon I'll be a millionaire. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love, uh, love Seinfeld. And he, he really did well in the end, didn't he? Costanza. Dang it. You really <laughs> built yourself into something, is a line I remember. My family, was we were huge Seinfeld fans, you know, when I was like 12. And uh, I remember George Costanza, what's his name, Jason Alexander being interviewed. And someone said, you know, people come up to me all the time on the streets and they say, my friends say I'm just like you. And he responds, guys, that's not good. My character's a neurotic. <laughs> that's not the point. That's you don't want to be... <laughs> It's like it's like saying like you get you remind me of Walter White. You and Walter White are the, are the same. You remind me of the villain slash antihero of Breaking Bad. That's funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I've been married for three weeks now. I feel obligated to say it every time I'm on a podcast. But um, <laughs> I have found that complaining is the funniest thing in a marriage because you come you come home and and they've had a full day too, and you're like, golly, my email was a little slow today. And they're like, oh, yeah, I had 16 other things going on yeah. that was much worse than that. Well, but, the best uh, part is she's a nurse. Yeah, yeah, she life or death stuff. What know? is she? What, what, what is her field that she nurses? She delivers babies. She delivers babies. Yeah. yeah. so sweet. It's pretty cool. Hey, speaking of delivering babies, guess who just had a baby? Michelle. Our front desk receptionist, Michelle, just, she, she, was, she came to me. This is funny. Right before a doctor's appointment, she came to me and she's like, I'm ready to have this baby. I don't want to wait another week or two. Just pray for this baby to like, let's just have, and she never came back from her doctor's appointment. Did she you pray? Huh? Did you pray? Right then and there. I called oh down the fire gosh. of the Holy Spirit. I changed lives. Her man. water broke on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To celebrate life. No, we have a podcast for you today. Yeah. Uh, it is going to be centered on this idea of the parents being the primary educators of uh, their own children yep. in the household. So this came about through uh, a variety of things in the last couple of weeks. And I know Mike's been uh, thinking about this for a long time and the, yep. the way he um, organizes his you know faith formation. But uh, we've noticed in Father David and, and Brian, our, our liturgy guy, um, sort of explaining the, the new liturgy changes is one way to put it. Or adjustments. adjustments. Yes, adjustments. Yeah. We've heard some feedback uh, from people who are like, my kids don't understand what's going on. My, uh, yeah. I, I, they, they're fidgety in mass, and we hear them, and we're like, that. yes, so that's why we're producing these videos. That's why we want to teach. Yeah. But we're also um, thinking, you know, it's the parent's job to teach. It's the parent's job to convey this to their kids. Not to say that we don't have a place in educating the parents uh, to be yeah. able to enable them to uh, teach what's going on in the Mass, but uh, it's been striking us that, you know, it is the primary goal of the parent to teach the kid, not necessarily the primary goal of 
the parish to yeah. make sure all of the kids are um, educated in, in, in the Christian faith. So when you talk about the goods of marriage, it is the procreation and education of children, right? The church has always added and education of children. And sometimes we forget that, right? So the role of parents in education, the catechism says, and if you want to nerd out and look it up, 2221, paragraph 2221, it says the role of parents in education is of such importance that it is almost impossible to provide an adequate substitute. And that phrase is so important because I tell parents at every single one of our four trillion children's faith formation, SAC prep parent meetings, confirmation, youth ministry parent meetings, I told them the same thing. Youth ministry, faith formation, stuff we do at the parish is an excellent supplement, but supplements make terrible substitutes. You might take vitamin D3 because you're a pasty white person who is afraid of the sun, Nate. I'm just you're judging you right by at me as yeah, you say yeah. this, right? So you have to take vitamin D3 because you don't get enough of it in your food. Great. If you only took vitamin D3, you have a terrible diet, right? Like that is horrible. Supplements are awesome. But as substitutes, they fail. The parish fails when it becomes a substitute for the education that parents should supply. So what we have in the Catholic Church, and we've had for many, many generations, is the number one, most of humanity, for most of human history, grew up near your relatives, right? On top of that, your church was your neighborhood church. There maybe have been 100, 200 families, 300 families max at your church. When you go back east or up north or you go to these old Catholic cities, you find that there's a church on every corner, right? And half of them are now shut down because there's no longer – the community no longer goes to that church. And so when you think about that, though, what the life of faith was like for my parents in the 1940s in inner city Philadelphia, it was everyone on that block was Irish – and everyone on that block was Catholic, and everyone went to that parish church. So the education of your children was your parents. It was the fidelity to the liturgical calendar and doing all these fun Irish devotionals. We see this in um, in our Latino community more than you see in the Anglo community because I don't really have an Irish heritage anymore. But they bring, especially their first-generation immigrants, all of these wonderful devotions and pious practices that coincide with the liturgical calendar. Our Lady Guadalupe is coming up on December 11th and 12th for the celebration here at the parish. Look at your bulletin for more details. Um, but we have all these things. But what happens is when the community no longer upholds your faith, which I would say well before the 1940s, but it's really culturally impact was in the 1970s and 80s. The community no longer upheld your faith. People white flight, suburbanization of the churches. People left small um, urban parishes and went to big regional suburban parishes when they moved to the burbs, you have this complete breakdown of what I would say is the, the scaffolding that surrounded an individual's faith, right? How many aunts and uncles and cousins went to my parents' First Holy Communion? Answer, all of them, right? When my mom had a First Holy Communion, there were half the church is filled with your family, right? And now it's if they can come and fly, that'd be great because no one lives near each other. So you have these parents that are isolated from their bigger family. You have a community, a neighborhood that no longer is Catholic or is Christian. And then from all of this, you have the reliance on something that was just meant to supplement, now becoming the substitutes for all of these other beautiful scaffolding that we no longer have. And so the culture shifted away from the church, but the church kept acting like, oh, yeah, I take my kid and they get faith formation, they go to a Catholic school and they get formation, and that's it. Because, you know, whatever. But they they didn't realize, like, no, the, not only is 
the parent, the primary educator, but significantly now because of that scaffolding that's lost. Parents are the main and often only educators of their children in the faith. Yeah, it's interesting to think about those neighborhood churches that you see in in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and what that would look like here. I mean, the only reason we don't is... Uh, a priest shortage. We just do not have the priest to uh, to do the amount of churches that we really should have. Sterling Ridge, Grogan's Mill, all these. Yeah, I would say all nine villages of the Woodlands should have, in theory, their own Catholic church. Right now, you don't have the faithful to support it. Right, you. That, that's one of the reasons why the the neighborhood churches model failed in the seventies and eighties is because people moved to the suburbs, and in moving to the suburbs, they then channel a lot of the wealth away from urban environments now you have millennials who are now tending to be more urban until they have kids then they go back to the suburbs too but you have this this big difficulty uh archbishop fulton sheen called it in like i think it was 1971 he had a talk called the suburban captivity of the churches you know kind of referencing the uh babylonian captivity of israel in the in the old testament but the suburban captivity of the churches meant that there wasn't this interior dynamism connected to the heart of the city. And so if you go to churches today, I was just talking with someone, um, Dave Van Vickle, a buddy of mine in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, which consolidated from 210 parishes down to like 40. Wow. Right? Right? That's crazy. But then he said, um, he said, you know, the my boss, who's a priest, who helps run all these different nonprofits and stuff, he said, my building connects to the Pittsburgh Penguins hockey arena. Like, they literally are connected. And he said, it's so funny. So I help out at the parish, but our parish isn't really a parish. It's just for businessmen and women who work downtown will pop in for noon mass. And that's it. There's no parish life there. So how do you sustain that parish? Well, you turn it into where they run the soup kitchen and where they do various outreaches and stuff that this priest is all in charge of. But So this is what we're talking about. It's a community shift. It's not just like the parents in, in the 1920s, you could get by living in that kind of community, right, with go, taking your kids to first Friday or to, um, you know, Friday mass and fish fries and all of that stuff, the stuff that made a community, meals, liturgy, prayer. You can't do that anymore. It's so rare, those types of things. So in our parish, we're trying to bring that stuff back. We're using a lot of like Hispanic culture and Posadas and Novenas and all this, Our Lady Guadalupe. That is open to not just Spanish-speaking parishioners. But that's the cultural scaffolding that now parents have to actively seek out. Right. And it's, um, you know, in terms of being upstream, downstream, it really should start at the family instead Absolutely. of starting um, here. So that's what yeah. we're um, trying to talk about today. So, Mike, what have you done in, in restructuring some of the faith formation stuff to uh, put the impetus back on the family where yeah. education starts there and is sort of supplemented here instead of vice versa. Yeah, I've told this story before, but I think it's key. When my wife was at St. Lawrence, a woman who had a special needs child that was trying to, I can't remember what you call it, mainstream, you know, where you try to, you just put them in normal classes with a little supplemental help and in order to keep them, uh, you know, at pace with their peers. And But this kid um, couldn't really function in that class. And you, I, and I remember I substituted for his class one day and I was trying to help. But um, it was really rough. And the mother came up to my wife, mad, 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 spitting nails. And she walked up to my wife and she said, you know, what the H are you teaching in these stupid classrooms? Ever since you took over, it's been awful. And my wife looked at her and she goes, what do you mean? And she, then she remembered who this woman was. And she said, my son used to know how to pray the Our Father. And because of whatever you're doing in your classrooms, he doesn't even know how to pray the Our Father. And Shannon, without missing a beat, put her hand on her shoulder and said, I'm so sorry to hear that you don't pray at home. 
right? Wow. Yeah. Now, that, that response, I feel in my bones a thousand times a week at this parish. When you have a suburban parish, now keep in mind, I grew up in this parish. I was at Oak Ridge. I was a teen in the first life night. I gave the first testimony at the first life night, which was a train wreck. Uh, but I was actively involved in this parish. So I know what it's like. And I've given literally hundreds of talks at very similar suburban parishes. And I can tell you the ease of which in just our culture, we can outsource the faith. It's the same thing where we outsource batting practice, where we outsource sports, where we outsource music and languages and math tutoring and all this stuff to people, not the parents, to quote-unquote experts. It's so ingrained in our culture that we don't even think about it. So instead of teaching the faith at the home, we outsource it to the parish. So what do we do as the parish? Well, number one, uh, one, one person in particular in the past had said, you know, we can say till we're blue in the face, the parents are the primary educators of the children. But in fact, they're not going to do it, so we have to do it. And my response to them was, yeah, but supplements make terrible substitutes. And she said, yeah, but it's the best we can do. And I didn't think that was true. So what ended up happening was St. Anthony adopted the model that Shannon was doing at St. Lawrence in Sugarland. So when Barb took over as Parish Faith Formation Director nine, ten years ago, she called Shannon when we were at St. Lawrence, and she said, what are you doing? I've never run a SAC prep program. I've never done this. And so Shannon laid out what they do. And what they did at St. Lawrence is now what we do at St. Anthony's, which is you, you have to have your kid in faith formation. But faith formation is not the same thing as sacrament preparation for first confession and first Holy Communion, right? And a lot of people get lost in that. They're like, what? My kid's in second grade. Aren't they already prepped? And it's like, no, because we want you to do the sacramental preparation at home. So we supply a book. It's an awesome book. It's made many a Catholic uh, prepared for communion because it's from the 1950s. It's an awesome book, and it supplements the faith formation. So you as a parent teach at home these 10 lessons from the St. Joseph, uh, My First Holy Communion Handbook, whatever it's called. It's in English and Spanish. They're in perfect parity with each other. So, no, you know, the Spanish... Uh, you know, group is not getting, you know, the short shrift, which sometimes happens. So they're a perfect parody. But the parents have to teach it at home. Once a month, we bring everyone together for a for family sessions. So instead of saying, drop your kid off for a teaching on reconciliation, literally tomorrow, Friday, November, whatever that is, 12th. It's tomorrow the 12th. I think tomorrow's the 12th. Today's the 11th, yeah. Duh, so Veterans Day, baby. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my best friend. I got to call him. I call him every Veterans Day. I always forget. Call. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to our veterans yeah. and those in active service. We, yeah. we appreciate it. Yeah, that. my buddy, I'll never forget that right before he went to Iraq in the middle of the war, he said, uh, if anything happens to me, I want you to take care of my wife. And I was like, I better grow up right now. <laughs> I was like, cow. oh my goodness. Dude, that's like out of a movie. Man. I know, I know. And he was scared because, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he put his life in, in danger. But um, Friday, November 12th, is our second family session for, for preparation for the Sacrament of Reconciliation. We don't invite just the kid. One parent has to come with the kid. You come with the child who's preparing for the sacrament. You come, and we do a talk on the prodigal son. Who is going to give that talk? Someone who's full of himself, loves to hear the sound of his prodigal own voice. The prodigal son himself. Well. The prodigal son himself, <laughs> Mr. Salt and Pepper Beard Gormley. That's right. No, so I'm going to give the talk, and then Deacon Eduardo is going to lead us in adoration. And it's going to be about 12, 13 minutes of adoration. We're going to use, Josh is going to do the music, we're going to have silence, and we're going to have the prayers. The whole point of it is we have to stop thinking that we just outsource it to the parish. The parish is a community. It's the church at home with our sons and daughters in the neighborhoods of our sons and daughters. That's how Pope John Paul said it in Crusade Fidei's Laity. 
the on the vocation of lay faithful. But in that, right, we have to realize like, okay, but you're still the primary educator. As a Catholic who's responsible for the formation of the parish, I can't steal that away from you, right, if you're the parent. I can't. I'm ruining how the faith has been handed on. That's our goal. So within this context, I emphasize home study. Me and my, my kids, uh, my oldest daughter is in youth ministry. She's an anchor. But all the rest of my kids do home study, right? We have an accredited Catholic uh, faith formation book. We go through all that stuff. It's part of their homeschooling curriculum. We also offer faith formation in classrooms here. Wonderful. It's once a week. We offer it five different times. Awesome. Or you go to Catholic school, right? So that's the other thing is Catholic schools. If you go to public school, you enroll in faith formation or you do home study. And we help you out with all that. But the thing is, if you drop your kid off and think that they will catch the faith when it's not being lived out at home, that's where we are systemically failing as, as a church in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, I'll ask you a question by form of almost analogy here, Mike. Yeah. Here's a little story. Okay, so <laughs> say I've got a kid. Say I've got a little boy, and I, and I start playing catch with him in the backyard. You yeah. know? I teach him how to play catch. Yeah. It's incredible. You know, my life is fulfilled. My that. son, Noah, yeah. throws a perfect spiral. Really? It's, it takes my breath away every I time I cannot wait to uh, play catch with the son in the back or daughter, you know, but all right. So we're, we're, we're playing catch in the backyard and then, uh, you know, they grow up, they play baseball and I've taught them the basics and then they, they needed to learn how to curve ball. Right. Mm-hmm. That's when I quit baseball. When, when, uh, someone started throwing curveballs. Yeah. <laughs> like I could hit a fastball change up, whatever. And then someone learned how to hit a curveball, And I'm like, all right, I, I don't think I'll play, I'll play golf. I'm not, a, I'm not a baseball <laughs> You know what? Guy. I'm out. Yeah. Okay. So at that point, maybe I'll tell my son, listen, I think you need to have a, a different coach than me. You know, yeah. I think you might need to have someone else uh, taking the reins here and teaching you how to curve. Cause I don't know how to hit a curveball. Yeah. I've taught you the basics and I've done my job as a parent, but uh, now I need to hand it on. Now, I think if they were for ta- applying that analogy to the faith, mm-hmm. I think that we've we've described the basics as something that they're not. We've described the basics as like taking them to church on Sunday and yeah. dropping them off. And we're saying, oh, I've done what I can do. And I don't know how to hit the curveball or how to explain the chant or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Because in a, in a couple of ways, we're letting ourselves off the hook as parents and we are far, far falling short of what is the basics of a, of a Christian education. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago on uh, this podcast, you know, five questions every yep. uh, Catholic parent must answer. So, oh, which by the way, Bishop Barron on Word on Fire did a whole episode on it after we did ours. Interesting. The Pillar did a whole interview with Amy something Polish, a whole interview with her. It is all over the place. We were first. Did Bishop Barron listen to our podcast? I think he does. I think he does. Listen, we won't research it, but we'll assume that he does. So is that, would you would you say that's accurate? Are we falling short of what the basics are of what we can, what we need to pass on to our kid before we hand them off to an expert uh, theologian. My favorite thing with what you just said is you reminded me of my brother-in-law, um, Brandon. And what he does, one of his great joys that I would see every time I'd visit St. Louis is his boys were incredible at baseball. I mean, they're, they're, they're gifted intellectually, athletically, all this stuff. They're just an awesome family. But his thing was he would play catch afterwards especially one of his sons who was doing uh, who focused on baseball and all this stuff and is a, I think he's a pitcher um, for in high school now um, every day he would play catch with his son and I think about that like even though he is now with batting coaches and pitching coaches and all that stuff you can never depart from the basics 
right? You never leave the, it's like stairs. You don't, just because you're on the third step doesn't mean you ignore the first. It's, it supports all the others. And that was his entryway into his life. Now, when we talk about it in terms of the faith, you might not be able to articulate the church's teaching on why in vitro fertilization is contrary to the church's teachings. But you are the primary educator of the church's teaching on sexual morality, on conjugal love, on what it means to love someone and have intimacy and you know all this stuff. When we narrow down what the church provides as just a series of teachings, and yeah, maybe we do to go to the experts, but if it's a way of life, then you're still the expert because you're the witness. And so things like if we just reduce being Catholic to going to mass, then we will ignore things like daily prayer. We'll ignore things like reading scripture. We'll ignore things like charity in the home. We'll ignore things like, like one of my favorite things, these twin brothers and their sister, really good friends of mine, they were so faithful. I said, how are you so faithful? And they said, our parents. I said, okay, well, what did they do? He's like, well, for instance, every Christmas before we'd open presents, we would all go down to the soup kitchen and we would spend the first four hours giving out food for the homeless. And when I think of the traditions around Christmas, right? Like we have very strong traditions in, my, in, my, in our family, our media family of how we give presents, right? Me and Shannon decorate the night before. They come downstairs as brothers and sisters all at the same time with the birthday boy or girl leading. They go open, they open the presents immediately. The first thing, then we cook their favorite breakfast and we'll have their favorite dinner. And then I take them out on a daddy-daughter date or whatever for lunch. And it's just me and them. I'll take off work and do all this. So we, we try to make the whole day special, but it revolves around the family, mm -hmm. right? When it comes to Christmas, it's almost just like a birthday, right? They come down the stairs, we open up the presents and all that stuff. But when I think of that, there are so many avenues to Christ in the human heart. But too often, we only look at the avenue of the weekly practice of going to Mass. Some kids hate the Mass. They hate it. They don't find it, for whatever reason, uh, appealing. So they're rejecting God. They're rejecting faith. I've had a, two conversations recently with parents who were like, my kid doesn't go to Mass anymore. What should I do? And the kids are, you know, older. And I say, well, don't force them to go to Mass. So take them to the, the, the food pantry. Let them experience the life of charity of the church. Like maybe the, the Mass, the liturgy isn't the hook for them right now. But there are so many different things in our Catholic faith that could draw their hearts out, right? Mm, that's, that's fascinating, actually. Yeah, yeah but uh, Barron just had said this quote in his last podcast I listened. Actually, you recommended it to me. It was his uh, podcast uh, interview with um, the bodybuilders. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, gosh, what is it called? Uh, yeah, he did two interviews with them. Mind Pump. Mind Pump, yeah. He did two interviews with these guys, and they was recommended to me by someone who, was, uh, who actually is a friend of mine who's a bodybuilder in Alaska. And she was like, this is my favorite podcast. They're so great. And they had Bishop Barron on, and I listened to him. I've listened to Bishop Barron on. He was on Ben Shapiro. He's been interviewed on a bunch of different things, Jordan Peterson's podcast, all this stuff. I don't think, right? I mean, it was great. It was incredible. It was great. He was a just... good interviewer, uh, this mind pump guy, and, and then Baron was uh, really uh, a good open interviewee. And, yeah. yeah, he always is. Man, I love Bishop yeah. Baron. Um, but the uh, I like him. I don't know if I'm ready to love again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so his quote was uh, something. Someone was struggling with the faith, and, and, and what yeah. do I do? I, I can't pray. I don't know what to do. And this was a quote that he gave from uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, who's mm. one of my favorite poets. That's right. I have a favorite poet, Mike. Oh. Are you serious? That's how cultured oh. I are. You being serious right now? Yeah, I like him. I love really Gerard Manley Hopkins. Ah, yeah, he's a great poet. Yeah. 
Good oh, stuff. Man. Did we just become best friends? We just did. Wow, oh. we share a favorite poet. Just guys being dudes sharing poetry. Uh, <laughs> That's what dudes do when they get together. They share poetry. All right, so Manly Hopkins, Gerard Manley Hopkins said, uh, had a friend struggling with prayer, and they're like, what do I do? I can't pray. And Gerard Manley Hopkins says, give alms. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, donate something. And and the point was, you need to love, like love outside your life. If you're not, if you're in the chapel and you're not uh, connecting with God, okay, try yeah. it outside the chapel. And so I think similarly with kids, like what you just said, like if, if your kid doesn't like the mass, don't give up. Don't just force him to go to mass time after time without uh, explaining anything. But you know, take him to the food pantry or or figure out how you can donate something or or love someone um, outside of it. So um, yeah, I, I just thought that was a remarkable insight into like. That that's all connected. It's, it is. It, you don't just start at one way and then go to the rest of the stuff. You can yeah. start. Yeah. So uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph ten seventy two, says the sacred liturgy does not. And it's a quote from Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the document on the liturgy from Vatican II. It says the sacred liturgy does not exhaust all the activity of the church. And then it says that it presupposes that before someone comes to the sacred liturgy, so before your kids are coming to Mass, before you are coming to Mass, it presupposes three things. Evangelization, that it's taken place, faith that you have, and conversion that you've undergone. Why? Because think about the story of the hemorrhaging woman, right? That famous story of this woman suffered for 12 years, hemorrhaging. She spent her whole life savings on doctors and only made her condition worse. For a woman with her monthly blood flow, she's rendered impure or unclean, and she can't partake in the temple liturgy. So it, it's just like if you touch a dead body or something like that, you become unclean ritually, and so you can't partake of the temple life. So here is this woman who for 12 years has been rendered unclean, so she can't partake of the social life and religious life of her people. So she says, so the crowds are jamming in on, on Jesus, and she says, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. So with faith, she touches his garment. And she's immediately healed. And scripture says that Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? The apostles laugh. Everyone is touching you. Jesus, look at the crowds. And he said, I felt power go forth from me. And he looks at her and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, when we think about this within the context of the sacramental life of the church, brothers and sisters, we need faith. We need evangelization, faith, and conversion. So here's, I think, uh, the two key concepts that is going to govern our principles going forward here at the parish in terms of me now being in charge, the Department of Evangelization being in charge of the whole thing. Um, Number one is when I was hired by Barb to be the Adult Faith Formation Coordinator eight years ago or seven years ago, when I was hired, the paradigm of the Catholic Church is child education and evangelization. But now... It has to be adult paradigm of education. I would love a church, a parish church. Now think about this, where we don't require the kids to go to class at faith formation, homes or anything. We require the parents to go. Now parents at home thinking, like, listen, you can even email me about this, right? I, I, I would love to solicit your, your feedback in this. This is so counterintuitive from the perspective of what's been done. Right? So we think about this. If you have an adult paradigm of evangelization and I get your kids for an hour a week and I'm trying to substitute for you and it, it's going to fail, it's already violating the church's model, which is the parents are the primary educators. It's going to fail because if I have you for an hour and your parents have you for 23 hours, right? I get you an hour a week, you get them for 126 hours a week. I think it's 127 hours. Like you get them for all that time. I only get them for, there's no conversion. Mm-hmm. The conversion is almost impossible within that context. 
And I don't want to fight parents. I don't want to be against them. I see myself as the primary, yes, I'll use this term, ally of parents in the faith formation and moral education of their kids as their supplement. So parents, I want to form you so that you can be better equipped to form your kids. So when you hear something like, parents are the primary educators, you don't think, oh my gosh, like what do I have to do? Like so many parents were so anxious over COVID and all the stuff being done at home. You know, we got so many emails like, I don't have time for this, I can't do this. And it's like, okay, I understand. And maybe you can't do this program that we're offering, but you should already be doing this, right? I can't take your place, no matter how amazing and handsome and funny and witty and comprehensive my uh, big brain is, I can't take your place. I can't invite your kids over to pray in my home with my kids' devotionals. That would be creepy and violate safe environment. Sure. You do that. But here's the deal. This is the, where the onus is on me. This is the, the yoke of the gospel for someone who has this position, is I need to make sure I'm equipping my parents. Exactly. Right? So uh, we're looking here at this um, familiaris consortio. I printed off a lot of quotes yep. from this, and I don't even know where to start because this is a, a document by JP2 about the family. Um, so in the I, modern world. In the modern world. So yeah. I would I would recommend uh, this document to anyone within the family context just to, to – one be reminded of the you know the power of the family. He reminds us again and again. It's like the power cell of the the church and the world and society in general. So you have a, a huge um, you know opportunity as a, as a family member to uh, to power the way of the world. But but there's a lot here on education. Um, and there's two things in in here that I, I found interesting that JP two brings particular uh, uh, emphasis on. One the first is uh, virtue. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. when we talk about what it, what does it mean to educate your ch- kid, a lot of that is just virtue. It's it's not necessarily theology, but but right. uh, it it starts with virtue. Um, so it's virtue, and then corporal and spiritual works of mercy, all of that. And then he gets specifically he talks about sex education, mm-hmm. and uh, and then mm-hmm. choosing a school for your kid. So first, like sex education is is essential for it's it's such a a, um, huge part of of our world and and these kids lives you know obviously it's it's more saturated than ever sex in a negative way in 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 our world so yeah parents have a a, from the pope you know an obligation to uh teach their kids about sex um which i i guess i thought that was interesting he doesn't call out geometry or uh or any any other aspect of education besides sex education so well so it's so interesting that you bring this up because one of the things that i've discovered repeatedly in a parish setting and it doesn't matter who you're talking to most roman catholics are not formed morally right they've never been told about what are the virtues they've never been told how do you harmonize your desires with your intellect and your knowledge of what is the good the true and the beautiful you're never really taught about how to grow in virtue how to combat vice maybe in the confessional right certain things specific sins you know often are but um, the whole notion of, of how do I think and reason morally with the mind of the church, with the mind of Christ, hasn't really been done. And in fact, I would say that the lack of moral education in the parish is one of the major detriments of our modern church. Because when you have priests that don't know how to form laity morally, what you end up having is the occasional, and, and you see this um, in, in almost every church, where there's like this pulpit grandstanding on moral issues, right? And you see this where, like, let's say abortion, the topic of abortion comes up, and you say basically what the church teaches, and maybe it's an election year. All of a sudden, you'll get a whole bunch of applause from the congregation because there's this element of like, yeah, he's enforcing like what we believe. And it's awesome that 
people in the pews believe that and and whatnot. But I dare say, if someone were pro-choice in that congregation and legitimately wanted to understand the church's teaching on why it condemned abortion and, and how that church teaching came about, the people applauding probably couldn't walk them through. Some could, but the majority couldn't walk them through. Why? Same thing with in vitro fertilization and other assistive reproductive technologies that the church condemns. It doesn't condemn them all, but there are certain that it does. They probably don't have the capacity to do this. And it, it kills me because you have tons of Catholics who are making these moral decisions every day based on the same principles of our culture. If it feels good and no one's getting hurt, it's fine. And it's not. It's not at all fine. Some decisions are wrong no matter what the culture says and no matter how good it makes me feel. So when we talk about sexual morality, most parents don't know what it is, let alone how to form their children in it. But the reason why the church singles out sexual morality is, number one, sex is not about having sex. Sex is deeply personal, right? It's about who you are as a person. It's about the chastity, the virtue of chastity. Chastity is not repression, saying no. Chastity is the successful integration of your sexual desires within your life, within who you are as a human person, within who you are as a disciple of Christ. So you have all that stuff. The next thing you have to worry about is modest speech. Uh, pornography is an epidemic. Talk to any priest, they'll tell you most of their confessionals are filled with people who talk often about pornography. Um, the same is true going down to middle school. I, I remember I was doing a middle school retreat and one of the core members came to me in the verge of tears saying, and not at our church, it was at a different church, but the verge of tears saying, um, I just walked in on a cabin to check in on the boys and they're all huddled around someone smuggled an iPhone and they're all watching porn on a retreat, mm -hmm. middle schoolers. So even if it's not your kid, which it probably is, but even if it's not, it's all around them. It's on the school bus. It's everywhere. But there are kids who are innocent, who are naive who don't know this stuff. So it would be inappropriate for the church at a parish setting, let's say me giving a theology of the body talk, to talk about pornography to middle schoolers, even though I know that middle schoolers are struggling with pornography, to talk about it in certain ways that might violate the innocence of people in that room. So if I'm walking into a situation where there's a bunch of kids with smartphones who are looking at pornography and then a bunch of kids whose parents forbid them to have smartphones, which is the only way to go, and they um, – <laughs> I'm very opinionated on this – and they've never – they don't even know what the word pornography means, which has happened plenty of times, and you give this in-depth talk on the evils of pornography. They're searching pornography when they get they're it. Look, they do. They yeah. absolutely do. Right. And the Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality, which was a document published under JP2, which Familiar's Consortium was written by Pope John Paul II, under JP2, it talks about we as, as catechists have to be deeply on guard of violating the innocence of the young people who we're talking to. And in fact, a priest in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, it's, it's a horrific story, was just thrown in jail for um, basically using, like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm uh, really big into helping teens get out of porn addictions. And he used that to manipulate and, and abuse kids. And so it, it's a horrific story. But the reason why I say that is we at the parish have to be very sensitive. I don't know where your kid's at. You know who does? Yeah. Probably you. The parent. So, the parent. yeah, yet again, another reason why the, you should not be the primary. Mike Gormley should not be the primary educator here because he doesn't have all the facts. He doesn't have the information or the relationship that you yeah. do as a parent. Yeah, um, which is why we offer theology of the body classes for adults, for adults. and teenagers, older teenagers, 16 and up, uh, at the parish. And I can't tell you how many adults have come up to me afterwards, some in tears, some angry, angry at the church saying, why is this the first time I'm hearing about this? 
you know, because they didn't even know the church's sexual teaching. So remember, the church's sexual teaching is, should be taught at home first because it's first about how mom and dad love each other. Say that again. The church's sexual teaching is, should be taught at home first because it's first about how mom and dad love each other. Right? Yeah. It's love. It's the whole environment. Like my kids know I love my wife because they know I love my wife more than my kids. Right? And they know that not because I hate them, right? But because I constantly look for times to be alone with her, right? I, I love being with her. I wake up early to have coffee with her. We stay up late to spend time with each other. We go on dates together, even though we've been married for 12 years. We go on vacations, just us two, because it's important, right? And they need to see, the children need to see the love that mom and dad have. And from that, the teachings flow about the integration of chastity and sexual desires and masturbation, pornography, all of those other topics that need to be taught. How awful would it be if the first time your kids ever heard the church's teaching on pornography or masturbation is at the church youth group? Mm. That Don't do that. Don't do that. And I can help you teach those kids. So why are we here? Why are we talking about this? Well, Mike, we've been stewing on this because we want to empower parents to do this at home. Yeah. I don't I don't want parents to feel like we are washing our hands clean of, uh, of this duty. We have a responsibility to the parents. So look for, in the coming weeks and months, um, a class from St. Anthony's uh, taught by, by Mike, some of the people here, um, on being primary educators of your children. Uh, we want to empower you, uh, so we're still working on like, exactly what that looks like, uh, what each class is going to be, but you can count on us, uh, whether in this class and in, in all of the other w- classes that we have here. You mentioned the Theology of the Body class. Yeah. All of those opportunities are essentially ways for us to empower parents to teach their kids back at home. Um, yeah. So uh, that's how it got stewing. We, we want to do this probably in the new, the new year. We'll, we'll uh, schedule this out, and, and we're going to have opportunities for parents to teach. So do not think we are uh, leaving everyone out on, a, out on a limb and out on a raft by themselves. Right. We, we still want to teach. Uh, that's what the homilies are all about. That's what our videos and, and classes here are all about. But, yeah, look forward to that. I look forward to attending as a, uh, you know, I'll say it again. I got married a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so Yeah, the, the concept that we want to build that I, I think we cannot progress further. I, I said earlier there are two things. One is the adult paradigm of evangelization. But the other thing is, especially if you're listening to me and you are the member of a family, right? You have spouse, kids, all that stuff. Or if you're doing it alone, right? You're a single parent. You need to understand this phrase, domestic church. The parish church matters. That's the home of the sacraments, the sacramental life, the liturgical life. That does not mean that church is done at church. We are the church. We go to mass, right? Mm -hmm. We need to realize that we need to build up the domestic church, right? So leading prayer for your family, even though sometimes it's like pulling teeth, right? Doing that. We had a dad who converted through the inclusion program about uh, six years ago. And he went from nominal faith to on fire. He attended an axe retreat. It changed his life. He said, I need to know more. He came to my classes. We had tons of conversations. He then went to that man as you. This man was being fed all the time. One day he talked to me. He said, I have a problem. I said, what's that? He said, I didn't come to faith in Christ until my kids were already teenagers. They could not roll their eyes bigger 
right? He said, so what do I do? So we talked about different stuff. I said, the primary thing you need to do is witness to the radical newness of life, right? It's to be the witness, right? And to constantly go to the, he's like, my wife was the Catholic one, all this stuff. But even then we only went like once every few months. And he said, so, you know, Talked to him about six months later. He said, well, we're watching all of those Pure Flix movies, right? Like uh, all the things with the one Michael Severson from Growing Pains. What's his name? Who's yeah, that guy? I, I can picture him. Fireproof. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we all know who. Yeah, Fireproof. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Like that movie, um, all of them. And he would watch them. He was like, I'm just crying and all these movies and my kids hate them. And I was like, oh, gosh, I hate those movies so much. Yeah, that's it's so it's good for some, I guess. Right, but, but his whole thing is he's trying to just have it in the home. And so that notion of the domestic church is very important. It's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can look it up. It, it understands the, the parent's role as a sacramental reality, right? An office in the church. This is what matters. This is why we place so much restrictions on godparents. Makes everyone mad. I don't care. You can be mad at me all you want. I'm going to defend the dignity of the office of godparent, Right. And I'm not going to baptize your kid if you choose bad godparents, right? This is so important to the life of the church. It doesn't mean it's Aunt Ethel's turn because she's the only Catholic, even though she's not practicing. No, you have to have a practicing Catholic. So all of this stuff, the domestic life, I would encourage you at the very least, how do we get started? At the very least, bless your kids. Walk up, get some, get a holy water bottle, get some holy water. Well, I don't care if they're 19 years old, living at home, going to Lone Star, and you've never had this in your life. Walk up to them. Put some holy water on your thumb and do the sign of the cross on their forehead. They'll think it's so weird, but just say, I love you and I'm praying for you, right? That's how it can start. Pray at home. Pray the family rosary. They riot and revolt like my kids do sometimes during the rosary. Great. Just pray a decade. Just pray one Our Father, one Hail Mary, and one Glory Be. Get it started because the worst thing you can do is let the intimidation of, oh, I should have, would have, could have done it years ago. And now I have all this time. Who cares? When's the best time to plant an oak tree 25 years ago? When's the second best time? Today. Get started today. Get started today. And lastly, I'm going to tell you a stupid story. You ready for my stupid story? I'm ready. Give it to me. I'm teaching my kids how to pray the rosary in Latin. <laughs> you are, what a homeschool family you are. <laughs> <laughs> my kids take Latin, okay, right? Cool. They take it in the, as part of their school curriculum. And it's funny because it's a Protestant uh, program, but the, the first stage called Prima Latina is all... Um, Catholic liturgy stuff. So they learn the Sanctus. They learn everything but the Hail Mary. <laughs> but they learn the Sanctus. They learn all these prayers. And so um, Brian Jones, our coordinator uh, of liturgy, he sent me a video of his two-year-old daughter, Celine, praying the rosary in Latin. Right? So she does it with her funny little baby toddler voice, you know. But she can mouth something that sounds like the words in Latin. And the funny thing was... Um, you know, in my show, Every Knee Shall Bow, my other podcast, uh, where I talk about evangelization, the the problem of the Latin mass had come up, Latin in the mass, not the Latin mass, had come up independently of, of all the new liturgical adjustments having at the church. And this one person wrote in saying, how unwelcoming can it be to have a foreign language that none of us understand and all this stuff? And I just talked about the patrimony of the church and all this stuff. And then to see a two-year-old be able to do it, I was like, you know, it's funny, we complain about it, but here's a two-year-old, right? And so I started teaching my kids, and it's so fun slash frustrating, but now it's a challenge for them. It took three days of doing it to now they're like, no, I'm going to memorize. No, I'm going to memorize. No, I want to lead. No, I'm going to do it. Ave Maria, grazie, plena, dominus tecum. Right, and they go off, and I'm teaching them how to say it like normal people instead of, Ave Maria, <laughs> you know, where they like overpronounce everything. So it's crazy 
It's beautiful, it's wonderful, and it's going to look like your family. Your Catholic faith should look like your family, and your family should look like the Catholic faith, right? We shouldn't have them be two totally siloed things, right, where Catholicism only happens at the parish. If it does, it ain't Catholic, right? So that's what we need, domestic church, adult paradigm of evangelization, and I want to help you. In the words of Michael Jackson, you are not alone. I am here with you. Golly, wow. Yeah. Patron saint of this podcast. <laughs> oh, that's why I only wear one glove when we record. That's right. So <laughs> seriously, folks, if you if you uh, are interested in this and you have questions for now, contact Mike Gormley. Yep. Uh, that's, that's not a joke. He, he will help you. He'll get, us, he'll get you plugged into something that will help, and we will um, uh, produce some kind of class to uh, help our parents be the primary educators of their kids. You're not alone, but it is your responsibility. Yeah. There's so much to read and talk about this, but uh, but for now, no, we are uh, we're praying for you. We want our our families to succeed and be good at this. Yes. 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 We love you. I I love the people of this parish. I love you, and I want to help you educate your kids. Please, please, please. M Gormley. G O R M L E Well. M M L E Well. I don't know, M-L-E-Y. What's going on, Mike? At AP.Church. Oh, man, it's been a long day. Yeah. It's been a long day. I used to say to the parents, uh, I said this at the Edge thing, I was like, just email me. That's M Gormley. G is in Gormley. O is in Ormley. R is in Ermley. M is in Emily. L is in Lee. And they were like writing it down. Then they just stop and look up at me. So M Gormley at G at Sweet Moses. <laughs> I just recorded an hour podcast with Van Vickle before this. That's M Gormley at AP.Church. There it is. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. I love you.